scary girl. Hey, everybody. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Sarah. And this is Dead, Dead Time, Time Stories. Stories. Episode 38. Bam, 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 bam. No, now I like wah, it because it's wah. an even number. It is. I know. You said that. I do. It the next even number will be 40. I know. And that's a big one. That's 10 away from 50. <sighs> it is. Shit. I know. 50 episodes and no one's paying us yet. Can you believe it? Can you believe it? Can you believe it? Welcome back, everyone. Yeah. Oh, shit. We started recording with this still going. We did. I'm so sorry. Let's not take it back. I'll just... It it happens. Don't we sound even better? Bam. That's gone. Who knows? It might not even be there in editing. You didn't even know that that happened. What was that? We didn't hear anything. Aliens, ghosts. Yeah. That's about it. That's fair. Uh, Stephanie, do you have anything? We both have something new going on, but that doesn't include anyone. It's just us going to the conference. It's true. I'm really excited about. Uh, That's what we're doing. Well, recording is coming up this weekend, but by the time this comes out, it will be this past weekend, what we did. So when we talk about it, it'll be two weekends ago. Or just one weekend. I don't know. It'll be in the past next time, but it's coming up. But it's in the past now that you're listening, but when we're saying it right now, it's actually in the future. And if any of the high schoolers at that conference make it this far, welcome back. (laughs) Thanks for for, for doing whatever it is. Thanks for making it through the Thrissy episode. I said it. You did. You probably said it. I threw it right. Well, we're two minutes into it, something like that. I just threw it out there. Yeah, you did. We're starting this episode out big, you guys. Mm. I've got a lot coming up. I have, uh, so Hedwig is happening on Valentine's Day on the 14th at Voyeur here in Philadelphia. And then it's happening in New York on February 15th at the Lori Beachman Theater. My fuckers, come see it. And then my one-woman show officially has a name. Because uh, I had to give it a name today because the producer was like, hey, what are you calling it? And I was like, uh, I have to name it something. <laughs> I was like, I'm at work. Can I get back to you by seven o'clock? <laughs> and he was like, yeah, great. Um, so the official title is Bad Sex and Other Problematic Analogies. Uh, there, <laughs> And that's going to be playing at the Rotunda here in Philadelphia on Friday, April 5th. Alternatively titled Confessions of an Unintentionally White Passing Mixed Fat Queer Feminist Switchy Witch, Bad Sex Explores Heartache and Healing with Humor and Humility. This show is part essay reading, part stand-up routine, part musical event, written and performed by Stephanie C. Kernison. And one of my goals for January was to finally pick a theme for the music that I'm going to do. And I think that the music I'm going to pick is going to be all by members of the 27 Club which are famous musicians who died at the age of 27. There's a lot of them. It's a whole conspiracy thing, right? Well, not necessarily conspiracy. But, I mean, it's just like, whoa, isn't that crazy? Maybe I'll talk about it sometime. Maybe closer to my show. But um, (laughs) people like Jim Morrison from The Doors, Jimi Hendrix, um, Kurt Cobain, Janis Joplin, Amy Winehouse. Those are all people who uh, died at the age of 27. For a second, I was like, Heath Ledger? No, he was older. Was he? I don't know. Was he 27? I don't know, but he wasn't a musician. But he could be. If we got that wrong, email us and tell us. We really Uh, want you guys to email us and tell us. Brian Jones, who was one of the founding members of uh, the Rolling Stones, is also a person. So David was like, Oh, are you going to do a song by the Rolling Stones? And I was like, Oh, I don't know. Am I supposed to? 
Um, he was 28 when he died. Heath, Heath Ledger. Ledger. Oh, okay. Damn, that was still pretty young. Yeah. Well, now they don't have to email us. <gasps> Ooh, girl. And I really want people to email us. But you should email us anyway, you Come bastards. At us. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready. Listeners. With a Z. Send some emails. Yeah, you fuckers. I know. So, um, yeah, those are things that are upcoming. Um, and, yeah. All right. Well, you guys. Y'all ready to talk about some ghosts? Yeah. Did they say they were ready? Yeah, they did. They okay, did. They great, did. They great. confirmed okay. the second awesome. time around. Awesome. 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 So. Phew. Stephanie, you going to tell us about some ghosts today? I hear some paper shuffling. Let me see that big old font. Well, oh, I'm sorry. I saw the word ghost. Here, you can look. Oh. But yeah, it's really big, right? Oh. So That's what like, she said. It's not going to be safe for long. Well, I wanted to go back to my roots in North Carolina. Um, oh, there goes that. A ghost just knocked her book off the shelf. And by ghost, I mean Stephanie's hand did I, it. That was me. I did it. Your hand was possessed by the ghost. Did you ever see the movie Idle Hands with Devin Sawa and Seth Green and no. Jessica Alba? What? No. That's an interesting Maybe cast. Breck and Meyer was there. Somebody else who was like another like teen movie sensation at the time. Weird. It was right. like his hand died and then became evil, and his hand would kill people, but it wasn't him, it was his hand. And it killed his best friend, which was Seth Green. Mm, and then true. Seth Green did like the Griffin Dunn thing from American Werewolf in London, where like the dead friend was like there, like talking um, to him. Anyway. Um, um, all right. Yeah. On to the ghosts. Uh, so I'm going to talk about a fella by the name of Edward Teach. Do you know who that is? Is he a teacher? No, he's more famously known by the name of Blackbeard. Whoa. Yes, Blackbeard's real name is Edward Teach. And he's from North Carolina? He's not, fr- I don't think he's from North Carolina, but like that's oh. where he like landed. Um, right. He made a lot of babies there. Made his home there, yeah, homestead. Uh, and I had a friend uh, in college who claimed to be a descendant of Edward Teach. Sure, okay. And uh, (laughs) you're going to love the name of his landing spot because on Ocracoke Island in North Carolina. Can I guess? Does it have something to do with butts? Kind of? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, It's a small channel of water known as Teach's Hole. (laughs) 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 This inlet is reported to be the spot where the pirate Edward Teach... Better known as Blackbeard, preferred to anchor his ship. It's sure also said to be where he met his end. And some say his ghost haunts that spot to this very day. He's haunting his hole. He's haunting his, his own special hole. special hidey hole. His own hole. He's in his own hole. If you can't haunt your own hole, how the, how the hell, hell are you going to haunt anybody else's? else's? Can I get an amen up in amen. here? Amen. Blackbeard roamed the Atlantic from around 1716 until 1718, robbing ships from the West Indies to the Carolinas. He had a reputation for unbridled ferocity. When Blackbeard went into battle, he strapped multiple pistols and multiple cutlasses to his body. Most frightening of all, he wove fuses into his long black beard. Did you know that about him? Mm-hmm. And he would light them. That was what made him so scary was because his like beard was on fire. But it was really fuses that were like braided into his beard. But and wouldn't they still set the beard on fire? Just, just like, a little bit. They would just kind of sizzle. 
I bet he smelled awful. Oh, girl, he if was a pirate. Had, I mean, not only that, but also the smell of burning hair. Like, oh, you know, yeah, the smell of, of burning no, hair is a mean. different. Yeah, I know what you mean. And he's got that right by his face. Uh, when Blackbeard went into battle, he strapped multiple blah, 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 um, and set them on fire before he stepped onto the captured ship. So he'd step on, like, <laughs> beers of flame. And he's basically a performance yeah. artist. Yes. Yes. He's just, they, they don't understand him. But part of his art was rape and pillage. Well... Okay. This towering figure, armed to the teeth, sporting a sparking, flaming beard, must have been absolutely terrifying. Ship's captains would surrender without a shot being fired. That's what he's famous for. Like, people wouldn't even fire because they were so... He's, they're like, he set his own beard on fire. Can you imagine what he's going to do to me? He's fucking crazy. Blackbeard's reign on the high seas came to an end on November 22nd, 1718. Virginia Governor Alexander Spotswood sent a ship commanded by John Maynard down to North Carolina the coast to track down and kill Blackbeard. Maynard surprised Blackbeard and a skeleton crew anchored at Teach's Hole. <laughs> the ferocious battle that followed, Blackbeard was shot five times and stabbed no less than 20. The pirate crew was all killed or captured. Blackbeard's head was chopped off and hung from the bowsprit of the uh, Maynard's ship. The pirate's headless body was thrown overboard. Legend has it that the headless body swam around Maynard's ship three times before sinking into the water below. What do you think that thrusty does? (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. No, that's what I think that thrusty does. Ever since then, it's been said that Blackbeard's ghost haunts the spot known as Teach's Hole. With his thrussy. With his thrussy. Many people. Teach's Holes is what it should be called. (sighs) I'm sorry. Keep going. That was his nickname in high school. (laughs) Many people have reported seeing a strange light. Not Teach's Pet, but Teach's Holes. Teach's Holes. Oh, no. I'm so sorry. What is wrong with us? <laughs> to the children listening to this. Who met us at a high school. There are no conference. children still listening to um, this. Are you listening? Email us. Uh, many people have reported seeing a strange light moving beneath the water in the cove. This ghostly light is thought to be some uh, form of Blackbeard spirit. Swimming right? still? Swimming through the waters, Ugh. searching for his missing head. Of course he's searching. He can't see. Right. He's just feeling for it like jinkies. Like a- uh, there are those who believe that on stormy nights you can hear Blackbeard's voice calling out in the wind. On nights when the angry wind is roaring and the hard rain coming down, many people have heard a horrible roaring coming from beneath the hidden cove. They say that it's an unearthly noise that sounds like a pained human voice, and this has bothered me ever since I was a kid, bellowing, Where's my head? Now, it bothers me, and always did as a kid, because I was like, what part of him is saying that? His thrussy. Is it his thrussy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? So I'm always like, mm. While his reign of terror of the seas was short, Blackbeard's legacy lives on in the legends of North Carolina. We're also learning even more about this frightening pirate every day since the discovery of the wreck of the Queen Anne's Revenge, which was Ooh. his ship, right? Archaeologists and historians have been working on recovering and restoring artifacts from this sunken ship captained by the notorious pirate, and we're discovering fascinating details of what life was like at an 18th century pirate ship. 
While Blackbeard's viciousness has gone down in history, these stories may be a fact of history being written by the winners. Except for the final battle, there's no record of Blackbeard ever having killed anyone. Uh, The show with the massive arsenal and the flaming beard may have been deliberately designed to avoid a fight. Blackbeard seems to have understood that having a reputation for a bloodthirsty murderer could save you the trouble of actually being a bloodthirsty murderer. So he's basically the Dread Pirate Robert. He is. Yeah. Very, yes. Yes, yes, yes. And while pirates are considered uh, the bad guys of history, it's hard not to sympathize with pirates over the British Navy. Pirate crews were better treated and better paid than Navy crews. Furthermore, pirate crews were on their ships by choice as opposed to the Navy crews, many of whose members would have been pressed into service. Pirate ships were also essentially democratic institutions. The pirate captain would be elected by the crew and generally selected on the basis of competence and fairness as a leader. The captain's decisions on where and when to sail would be put to a vote and his authority became absolute only during battle. This was a stark contrast to the British Navy at the time, where the captaincy of a ship was based more on being born to the right family than on an ability to uh, to competently lead a crew. It's also important to remember what the pirates were stealing from and whom. A large portion of the vessels passing through the Atlantic at the time were holding enslaved human beings as cargo. When intercepting a slave ship, pirate crews would routinely free those otherwise destined for a life of unimaginable misery. I'd like to see the the receipts. I was like, Um, you're making it sound like the pirates are the good guys. And I'm like, damn. I'd like like to see the receipts. Um, Show me the sheets, Diane. Right. (laughs) These men would be offered the opportunity to join the ship's crew. With chances of their being able to return home being tragically small, it's an offer many of them took up. Records show that as much of half of any given pirate ship crew in early 18th century would have been composed of freed Africans. Even Blackbeard's trusted second-in-command, who died fighting with him at Teach's Hole, was one of these men, known to us only as Black Caesar. While many pirates did kill and plunder, they were killing and plundering from people who uh, were themselves killing, plundering, enslaving, and exploiting lands, which had been invaded and were held by force. What seemed to offend the authorities so much about the pirates was not their tactics, but that somebody else was getting a cut of the action. Where is this, America? Land of the free. Land of the free. Home of the fuck you. Make America gape again. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. So that's the story of Blackbeard and his... I thought he was a bigger... Only two years he was out on the seas doing his thing. That's when he was mostly in the Carolinas. Um, He he went all up and all over the place, but between the Carolinas and the Caribbean... Um, but those last two years, that was when he was, like, really, f- like, just fucking up the Carolinas. Like, this is my shit. Get out of here, British Navy, you bitch. Did you hear about my hole? It's huge. <laughs> Sarah, what are you talking about this week? So this week, uh, I, we're both doing, like, ghost stories, which I like. We're taking it back. Right? School, I was like, so I haven't talked ghost about story. a ghost in a long time, and I would like to do that. Same. And I felt like I've, I've got a lot of things in the works coming up, but as I was looking at those things, I was like, there aren't as many ghost things in this as I would like. I need to get back I on the ghost stuff. I want to talk about some ghosts. I need to talk about some ghosts. That's right, y'all. We brought it back to the ghosts. Yeah, about the ghosts. You're welcome, Lindsay. Lindsay ghost, said she ghost. likes it more when we talk about ghosts than oh. true crime, because she's like, oh, that's horrible, and it really happened. But ghosts, she's like, all right. All right. All right. 
Well, here's another ghost story. So this is the story of the demon of Brownsville Road in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Get it. I know. So in December of 1988, Bob and Lisa Cranmer and their four children moved into 3406 Brownsville Road. This began a long string of events that eventually led to an exorcism and a demonic entity being expelled from the home in 2006. But first, a little bit of history about the house. So in March... Of 1792, a mother and her three young children were killed by marauding Native Americans in the vicinity of Fort Pitt during the Northwest Indian War. This was done as an act of terror to discourage continued pioneer settlement in western Pennsylvania and Ohio. The killing of women and children was not a common practice by the natives, as they were always taken as prisoners instead um, to live with the tribe or ransomed with other hostages. Um, Which is, yeah, they normally... When Native Americans were fighting, they wouldn't kill the women and children. They would just take them and make them a part of their tribe or, like, hold them for ransom. Sure. So they killed this woman and her kids to, like, prove a point. And it's said that the murder occurred on the grounds where the house is built and that the mother and her children are buried in what is now the front yard. Oh, shit. It's assumed and speculated that the haunting or demonic infestation in the house could have started as a result of these vicious oh, killings. Oh, It's also rumored, though there's not super hard evidence for this, that while the house was under construction, an immigrant laborer put a curse on it because the wealthy owner owed him money and he was jealous that the owner had such a beautiful wife. So it's rumored that this guy put a curse on it while it was being built. Yeah. Um, Which, fuck you, right? If you put a curse on it. I'm just like, you don't even get to live in it like a day without a curse. Fuck you. It's cursed from the start. Yeah, right. I was like, well, the killing already happened there. And if that started the demonic, in- demonic, demonic, that demonic, that energy. demonic entity, uh, that demonic energy, then he's just like building off of that. Another story tells that while the house was, I believe, in its second owner, there's a local doctor that would rent out a room in the home to perform illegal abortions uh, when the homeowners needed extra money to maintain their servants and lifestyle. Damn. Of course, even to this day, in a lot of places, abortions are a big no, 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 no. And you have to go get them done in secret. So they had a doctor performing illegal abortions in the house for extra cash. Um, while there are no records or firsthand accounts to support this claim, there is evidence that such a doctor did exist in the town. And local lore and word around the town is that he was your abortion man. Um, <laughs> your yeah. local abortion man. I just keep hearing like. Curtis. Can you imagine that business card? I'm. Oh, God. I'm hearing, like, Curtis Mayfield's pusher man, but, like, I'm your abortion man. Ding, ding. Take care of that problem, man. Ding, ding. You Uh, know me? I'm your friend. Get your baby out your end. I'm your abortion man. (laughs) Bing, bing, ding. ding. Oh, but your house might be haunted when I'm done. So... Uh, it's plausible that the home could actually have been used for that. So the house was actually built Don't in... Don't call this episode Abortion Man. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't considered that until you just oh, said no. it. <laughs> now I really want to call it Abortion Man. <laughs> oh, God. You're a f- local friendly abortion man. I'm your abortion man. 1-800-ABORTION. Abortion man makes abortions happen. There I was, had the Stanley Steamer jingle stuck in my head. That's where that came from. There was a joke on Mr. Show with Bob and David where they do, uh, it's called, this guy's doing a bunch of radio ads, and one of them is, Mr. Happy Fun Times Abortion Clinic. We'll bring <laughs> out the kid in you. 
I know. It's, like, it's so good and it's so awful at the same time. <laughs> so the abortion man, the town abortion man. That happened in the house. That's all we're going to talk about with the abortion man. How many we're times the abortion we man. the word abortion already? What an abortion. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be the number of the episode. 5,500, 5,500 abortions. abortions. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm leaving. We're done here. <laughs> this podcast is over. I just killed it. I'm so sorry. I was going to say this episode is an abortion. <laughs> abort. Abort. So the town abortion man. <laughs> We're done. Get off the abortion man. We're done with the abortion man. He's one paragraph in right. my four pages. So tell me more about his house, So the house, abortion though. man was born in 19... 19- <laughs> tell me about the house. The-, the home was built in 1910, and there were three owners prior and to... And were the abortions performed? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no! Get off the abortions, Stephanie. We're talk- talking about the abortions. I don't know. Sometime between 1910 and 1988. Okay. It is around 4,500 square feet with seven bedrooms and three bathrooms. Bob and Lisa, the husband and wife, purchased the home after Bob had been transferred back to Pittsburgh by his employers. Bob was born and raised in Pittsburgh, not far from where the house stands. And he says that as a boy, that home had always been a dream of his to own and that he would stand outside of the house looking at it and just thinking about like what it would look like inside. Mm-hmm. So when he was transferred back to his home city and saw that the home was up for sale at the same time, it was like fate. Yeah, of course. So Bob recounts that the sellers seemed anxious to move out of the home and surprisingly accepted his first really low-balled offer of $100,000 with no negotiations. By the way, I looked the house up on Zillow. It is now appraised at valuing a little more than $350,000. So How much? Three hundred and fifty thousand abortions. <laughs> now it's over. Podcast is ended. Good night, you guys. So yeah, they got a really good deal. Um, the signs of not on the abortion on the home. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> I got her before she could say anything. She took a drink. I sure had a drink in my mouth, but that was exactly what I was thinking. I got you. Um, the signs of activity, paranormal weirdness, were there from the beginning. Uh, during an initial walkthrough of the home, Bobby Jr., one of their four kids, right? Four kids? How many kids they have? Four kids. Four kids. One of the four kids, he was three at the time. He wandered off while they were touring the home, and he went to the basement, and he was later found on the front staircase crying and hyperventilating as if he had encountered something horrifying. Lisa, the wife, also expressed her own wariness about the house, feeling as though it was too much house, and it gave her the creeps. She's like, this is too big for us, and it scares me. I don't like it. Too much house. I understand that. Who's going to clean this? I got four kids. You're giving me seven bedrooms, three bathrooms to deal with? Unacceptable. I can't. So Bob, however, was set on buying his dream home, and also, like I said, it was going to be a great deal. Not to mention it came with an in-house abortion man. Stop! (laughs) You said it was done! (laughs) I can't. (laughs) An in-house abortion man. He comes with the house. He's got his own quarters above the garage. And the forceps double his tongs on barbecues. All right. And triple his roach clips. 
<laughs> okay, where was I? Uh, Bob wanted to buy the house. It was going to be a great deal. Bob did have the wherewithal to ask this previous seller if there was anything wrong with the house. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, say no more. And the seller, knowing what Bob was implying, said, no, yeah, things are totally fine. Don't worry about anything. Everything is so fine here. We even used to have Catholic mass in the living room like several times. Like everything is so great here. No, it don't was worry. mass. Totally it wasn't exorcisms. It trying was to get def- rid of all the abortion babies. It was definitely fine. Sure. Okay. But God, this episode is taking <laughs> such a turn. I haven't even gotten to the ghost yet. All right. Um, later the following spring after they moved in, Bob was doing yard work and he discovered a small metal box buried in the front yard containing Catholic religious items. He called the previous owner, who did not sound surprised at all. Oh, my God. And they assured him the house was fine, but he needed to put the box back where he found it. Oh, my God. <laughs> He's like, oh, yeah, no, there's nothing weird. Nothing's but make weird, sure but you put, put everything that, put exactly back. where you found it. Exactly where you found it. Put it back. So almost immediately after moving in, the family began experiencing paranormal activity. The first things were mild, like a pull chain on a light that would always end up wrapped up around the light bulb as opposed to hanging down like they had left it. Uh, Faucets would turn on in the middle of the night with no one around them. Radio dials would turn on their own and lights flickered. But all of the activity stayed relatively mild, no more than a mild inconvenience for about 10 years. So they were just like, all right, we we got Casper in our house. We got a friendly little spirit who fucks with our stuff. No big deal. So the family went about their lives just accepting that they lived with a spirit. Like you do. And lived their life. This is our home. We're not moving out. We paid 100000 American dollars for this. <laughs> we're not leaving. Bob Cranmer would even go on to hold political office in the 90s, first as a councilman and then as a county commissioner in Pittsburgh. Councilman Cranmer. Done. Uh, gaining notoriety and small celebrity status in the Pittsburgh area. Around 2003, though, the intensity of the haunting escalated significantly. Ooh, bitch. The family began to wake up with scratches and bite marks on a regular basis. The spirit would loudly pound on the walls during the night, and they started noticing that there was a pillar of stench that would manifest pillar in the home stench. a pillar of stench which i worked it out and if the acronym of that it's a pos which is also a piece, piece of shit. shit um but apparently well, point of sale system if you work in retail yeah well which is also a piece of shit. shit um apparently if you splashed the piece of shit with holy water <laughs> it would move and you only would smell it if it was like right beside you <laughs> So, like, if you, you were in a room with your friends and family, and all of a sudden you're like, what's that smell? Everyone's going to think that just, you farted, yeah. and you're just smelling your just own fart. But in reality, it's just the demon who's like, hey, what's going on? Now, Bob... Oh, it's a demon, you're saying. We're working on... I mean, it okay. started as thinking it was just a spirit, and then things started to manifest of it starting to attack them. Okay. So, we're working up towards that. It is also called the demon of of, uh, of Brownsville Road. So Bob believed that the spirit slash demon mainly lived in what they called the blue room. And the blue room was called the blue room because it had blue wallpaper and a blue rug, blue things. Oh, so most of the things in the room were blue? Yeah. Daba dee, daba die. Yeah. (sighs) Daba dee, daba die. But also, mentioning that, it made me think of Haunting of Hill House. Yeah. And in the Haunting of Hill House, they talk about the red room. But also in the book, which I read... 
each room in the Haunting of Hill House is categorized and labeled by its color, and each one has a color, like the pink room, the yellow room, the blue room. So I thought that was really weird that that's in that book, but also in this. So anyways, they had a blue room, and Bob believed that the spirit was mainly in that room because initially the room served as a bedroom for the kids, but none of them would stay in the room for very long because it made them uneasy. Like they would not sleep in the room. They wouldn't do it. After a while, Bob named the spirit because that's what you do apparently. And they named him Molech or Molech, M-O-L-E-C-H, Molech, Molech, whatever. And Molech, M-Boy, that's what I'm going to call him. Your boy and boy. Your boy and boy. And boy appeared as a shadowy fog creature who would fill the room with a dank and musty stench. Yeah, simply blech. So M boy really needed a shower. Um, and according to Bob, M boy molech spent most of his time in the blue room. And if you would pass by the blue room, he would lunge out at you. So that's cool. Yeah. Uh, over the years, the family became increasingly dysfunctional, as you do. When you got M boy haunting you and a fart following you around the house, no matter where you go, fart, a haunted fart. That's the name of the episode: the abortion man's haunted fart. I was wondering if you had said the word blue, the board's blue room, half as many times as we had said abortion. No, not even close. Two of the sons and the wife would be admitted and spend an amount of time in a psychiatric unit over the next few years. And the family had finally had enough, uh, and Bob contacted the Catholic Church for help. So the mayor of Pittsburgh went with Bob to request the assistance of the diocese, who would eventually assign the case to a father, Ron Langwin, and this began the battle to cleanse the house that would last a little over two years. At one point, an exorcist was brought in who was drawn to a single closet in the home. When he went in, he cut through the plaster wall in the interior, a wall that had gone untouched since the house was initially built. It had not been remodeled. And he discovered possessions from every single person who had previously lived in the home. What? Including a hand-drawn sketch of what is believed to be the original homeowners, completed with some very cruel things written about them on the back. So it's assumed that the entity, demon stole these items from the people who lived in the house and, and stashed them, them on it. and wrote nasty shit about them and stashed them in the wall. I mean, there's, like I don't know how else to explain it. Belongings. That was it. Like not only did man, she fucking, she stole my favorite dress and then she wrote Stephanie's a stupid whore on it. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's, what, and then it farted. <laughs> And then the fart just wore the around. The fart just followed just me everywhere. It, they just put my dress on the pillar of stench, and it just fucking wore my dress around and farted it all up. <laughs> now it just smells like farts. It smells like farts. Thanks a lot, Molech. <sighs> smells like farts and abortions. <laughs> God. <laughs> Terrible. I would Terrible. imagine abortion farts smell like copper. Oh, God! <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> oh. This is going to be a trip to edit. Okay, back to the story at hand. I'm like lightheaded. <laughs> this is so terrible. Uh, one night. It's just a word. <laughs> Just a word that doesn't carry a lot of weight or You know what, guys? If you get mad about it, 
email us. Oh, I was going to say, if you can't about have an abort. <laughs> abort that thought. Abort this podcast. If no, you, don't. If you hate it. Don't. Just skip the episode. Abort yourself. Let's get back to this. Let's off, off the abortion train. One night. Trying. <laughs> Bob's son-in-law awoke to see a black shadow hovering over his son's bed, Bob's grandson, mm-hmm. and they lived with them during some of the final years. Thinking that it was his wife, he called out to it, only then to see the shadow retreat back into the house's crawl space. From that point on, M-Boy annoyed the family by bumping around inside the walls at all hours of the night. Just like bumping around the crawl space, like, fuck you. Fuck you. You sleeping? <laughs> you should get an abortion. I was going <laughs> to say he said that about the baby. I was just here for a late-term abortion, man. I'm doing you a favor. Along with bringing... I thought they would have aborted you. Because he smells like a fart. he smells like a fart. Along with... (laughs) I just imagine, like, when he went back into the crawl space, it was like... (laughs) Just was like... Farted back. That's how he moves. Like, propelled himself backward with a fart. Like, he's a squid. (laughs) Just, like, shot fart out. Like, it was ink. Just (laughs) back up into the crawl space. And they were like, oh, oh, God, God damn it. Oh, come on, Molech. Along with bringing in the Catholic Church and exorcists, the family also did whatever they could to fight back against M-Boy in every way they knew how. I love that you're <laughs> calling him that. That's his new name. M-Boy. M-Boy. They would all wear crucifixes around their necks at all hours, and Bob had resorted to reading Bible passages out loud whenever things became too active. Jokes on them. That was his favorite book. <laughs> However, this didn't deter M-Boy. Nope. He was like, I love it. Read more. Read more. I've been waiting for someone to read. I wanted to download this audiobook, but I didn't have the $5. <laughs> <laughs> the family would find their crucifix bent, though. Um, and Bob Jr., who had that first encounter when he was three at the walkthrough, he would wake up every morning to find his crucifix, which was around his neck when he fell asleep. It would be across the room, curled up with its clasp closed. So it was almost like someone reached in, lifted it from around his head, and moved it across the room. Which would be creepier, because the clasps are a pain in the ass to undo on a necklace. I think a ghost with the dexterity to undo the clasp would be more terrifying. I don't know, I guess, because I feel like if they're a ghost, like, undoing the clasp might be easier than, like, trying to slowly lift it over someone's head without them waking up. I don't know. I don't know. I guess I don't know what it's like to be a ghost. Um, But also, on top of that, Bob reported finding rosaries with their chains interlocked so that you could no longer use them. Like, they were all fused together. He'd wake up in the morning, and as opposed to it being like the ringlet circle, it would all be fused together. Um, He admits that he originally thought when they brought in the Catholic Church and the exorcist that it would be like calling in an exterminator, a like one and done kind of process and unfortunately for them it was not like that at all and their two years contained multiple exorcisms catholic masses and blessings god damn at one point when a catholic priest sprinkled the house with holy water Mboy answered by making blood trickle down the staircase what the case drew in the attention of paranormal researchers from Penn State University, and in 2005, Ryan Rule, host of A&E's Paranormal State, went and experienced the house firsthand. He told People Magazine later in an interview that this was one of his scariest encounters to date. He claims to have seen a metal crucifix bent right before his eyes and also seeing an unknown blood-like liquid dripping from the walls. 
He even took a sample of the liquid and had scientists test it. And I saw two different things about this, but one said reports the findings were inconclusive, and another report said it's definitely some sort of like a mammal substance, but we don't know what it is. So Mboy seemed to be the most active between the end of 2004 to the beginning of 2006. Yeah. But as the Catholic Church got more involved and then the paranormal investigators started coming around, Mboy began to simmer down, and by the end of February... He was gone. He gone. He gone. He moved on to a different frat house. He moved on to a different abortion house. (laughs) He aborted the mission. (laughs) He aborted the mission. Bob credits the success. You're going to love this. Bob credits the successful eviction to his conversion to Catholicism. Uh The fact that he read Bible verses aloud every day. And that for over six months, he played Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ nonstop in the house. Stop. Stop. Nonstop for six months. He just had it on a loop. Passion of the Christ. It would get through the credits and go back to that DVD menu. He'd just hit play again. Yes. He claims that M-Boy couldn't stand that movie. And by the end of The Haunting, it seemed more like Bob was the one torturing M-Boy and not the other way around. You do not have to be a demon to hate The Passion of the Christ. (laughs) Over and over and over again for six months. And Molech was like, all right, that's it. Fuck it. You win. I'm out. I'm out. Fuck you. Fuck it. I'm out. You win. You fucking win. I'm done. I'm going somewhere else. Fuck you. Fuck Mel Gibson. Not worth fuck it. Fuck Jim Caviezel. I'm over fuck it. That, fuck you. Fuck you. I'm done. He yeah. left one last fart and he was gone. He was like. <laughs> he was gone in a fart. fart. To this day, uh, Bob Cranmer still lives in 3406 Brownsville Road. Damn. And in 2014, he released a book based upon his experience called The Demon of Brownsville Road. Yeah. Cranmer had very little to gain from releasing his story and his entire reputation as a civil servant, uh, whatever it's called, to lose. He states that the story had to be told to verify that evil does exist in the world. His direct quote says, if people don't want to believe it, that's okay. But that doesn't mean it isn't true. It exists. And that's why I'm telling this story. And I liked that because if people don't want to believe it, that's okay. If you learn anything, that's your your own own fault. The manuscript was written by Bob himself, but it was later reduced in size and rearranged by an Erica Manfred. However, she was the third of three writers employed by Bob, as the other two consistently had issues and conflicts that kept arising, which seemed intent on not getting the book published. By the end of the entire ordeal, the difficulties had been so immense that Bob believed evil itself was fighting to keep the story from being told. I know. Evil was trying to abort that story. (laughs) (laughs) Since releasing his story... Bob Cranmer's life has seen its fair share of tragedy and evil. In 2015, his son David died suddenly, and as a result, his wife Lisa spiraled into a deep depression. They ultimately divorced after 37 years of marriage and a demon together last year in 2018, and she moved out of the home. Bob says he plans to turn the house into a bed and breakfast in 2019, and he continues to do interviews about the book and his experience. The story has been the subject of several TV programs, such as The Exorcist Files in 2011 on Discovery Channel, Paranormal Witness in 2015 on Sci-Fi, and A Haunting 2016 on TLC. And where is the house? Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, yeah. So we're going to go stay in that Airbnb? 
I mean, yeah, if you actually well, opens, opens up, up as an Airbnb, for sure. Shit. Absolutely. So that's the stinky demon of Brownsville Road. I dubbed him that. He's all in boy for short. In boy, the abortion house. Mmm, <sighs> boy, that's an abortion house. <laughs> <laughs> that's the name of the episode. Mmm, boy, that's an abortion that's house. That's an abortion house. Uh, Stephanie, you got something worse for us, like a fetish five to make up for all this abortion talk? <laughs> Please don't Do let your I? fetish five be birth control or an abortion. <laughs> Um, no, I uh, am going to talk about something that is relatively, like, this is something that can relate to our show and the stuff that we talk about, but we've never talked about any of this. <laughs> uh, I just never know how to say it. Um, it's hybristophilia, and that is people who um, have, like, a love of serial killers, and not just, like, a fascination oh, with them, but the people... Like- and like write them like love letters yeah, like and fall like in love with and them like yeah and... every serial killer oh, is flooded with yes. love letters from people who are aroused by crime and criminals particularly those who gain public attention oh yeah that's i don't understand that at all it really yeah it weirds me out who is didn't Marilyn get manson get married in prison a lot of them get married in prison. You mean Charles God Manson? damn it. I do it every time. <laughs> I was like, when was Marilyn Manson in prison? Uh, no. Didn't Charles Manson get married in prison? I think so. And there's a lot of them, a lot that, of them do. that do. Because there are ladies who are like, he's just misunderstood. Oh. I was like, no, bitch. No, he's wrong. You're he, misunderstood. You're a murderer and you like, I'm going to do him and then not get an abortion. I'm going to do him, but maybe not because he's in jail. Conjugal visit? I don't know. know. People are weird. I, you know, I don't try. I try not to yuck people's yum, but, like, don't fuck people who kill people. I feel like that should Although be Although maybe given. that's part of, like, a role play thing. They just want to role Murderers play. Murderers need love, too. Fucking a murderer. Like, I'm a... I'm gonna murder you. That makes oh, did you you haven't watched you on Netflix? I haven't. I we finished it last night and fucking. I have a policy (sighs) recently of not watching things that that uh, play on my anxiety. I try to only watch things that relieve my anxiety. That's probably good. This is pretty anxiety inducing. Where it's like, goddamn. I'm just like I'm so anxious for real in my everyday life. I don't want to do that to entertain myself. It's been a really, it's been really working out for me. I've been doing very well. Did you see the last part of Kimmy Schmidt is up? I did see it's up. I haven't there watched it go. yet. <laughs> I've been keeping up with RuPaul's Drag Race. That's right. That's right. All Star season four. I haven't watched any of it. I've been behind. I want to do things to this mic that are like ASMR. Please don't. Do you have any more about your fetish five about these crazy people who? I can't You're hear not it. Headphones, I don't have so you my can headphones. Wear. <laughs> but you'll hear Ugh. it later. You're welcome, editing Sarah. Stop! Stop it! Stop it! <laughs> I'm gonna abort this idea. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> this gonna... episode is taking such a turn. We need to. We need to wrap this. <laughs> we need wrap to tie it this up off. So you don't need to get an abortion. <laughs> oh, God. If you want to email us a strongly about worded how much this episode offended you, you can't believe we said abortion so many times. Or if you were listening and you took the time to count how many times we said abortion, I would love to know that number. Tally that up. You know who would do that? Christina. I was going to say the penis yeah. guy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Any of them. Number one spot you know you is are. the person who tallies number up the abortion. Spot. 
How many abortions is too many abortions? There's no such <laughs> number. <laughs> Email us, deadtimestories, with a Z, all one word, at gmail.com. We're also on Instagram, deadtimestories, all one word, with a Z. We're on Facebook. We're on all the things. If you want a sticker, write us a review on Facebook or on iTunes, preferably five stars. Screenshot it and send it either to our email or slide it into our DMs. And give us your address, and we'll send you a sticker, motherfucker. Yeah, and tell your friends to listen. Maybe don't have them start with this episode, though. Sarah's a fan of making them start from the beginning. I am. Start. I mean, who doesn't love Grumblethorpe? I love Grumblethorpe, but like I said, when I listen to a new one, like a new show, maybe I'll listen to the newest episode and see if I can just jump in and see if it entertains me enough from there to go back and start from the beginning, but... There are so many. I love some of our first ones, like episode five is hands down one of my absolute favorites. You remember that? Take a listen. No, 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 <laughs> no. You can go back and listen to episode five, fecal forgeries and, and four frustrations. frustrations. And then episode eight is my other favorite one because that's the one that's about the love pass. And that one's fucking creepy. So we got some, we had some, some good ones good all ones. peppered throughout, but maybe Our don't guest start them. Guestoberfest episode. Guestoberfest was ballin'. With Josh was real good. Everybody was good. Aaron. Teresa, Colleen, Aaron. I gotta check in with him. Aaron, are you still alive? And we had Dory. Dory was on. <laughs> was that everyone? That was all of our... They were wonderful guests. Our guests for Guestoberfest. Was Mary Angela on in October? I don't know. She's Mary on all the time, on a lot, guys. You know Mary Angela. She's an honorary third guest. Hey, or Mary third Angela. host. All right, guys, email us, talk to us, tell us how much we offended you with this episode. Or just, you know, tell us how much you love abortions. We're really... (laughs) What? (laughs) I'm Stephanie. She is Stephanie. (laughs) And I am Sarah. And this has been Dead Dead Time Stories. Thanks for listening. Dead Time Stories is hosted by Sarah Heddens and Stephanie C. Curtison. Music and editing by Eric Gershnow. Artwork by Rennie Slackman. Aren't you glad I didn't say abortion? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like that button. I like that button. <laughs>